content here is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. Please consult a healthcare professional with any medical questions and concerns. If you are experiencing an emergency or need immediate help, call 911. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a therapeutic relationship. I just get so angry. It's hard to sit still. I don't want to be this way. My brain just feels all scrambled. Hello and welcome to Scrambled. I'm your co-host, Chad Douglas. And I'm Nikki Shields. This is episode 18, a deep dive into discipline. Nikki, this episode terrifies me. Why are you so scared? Because I've, I, <laughs> for many reasons, one, I'm afraid I'm going to come out not looking so great by the end of this episode. Two, I fear this could be a hours long episode. <laughs> and three, it just... I mean, discipline is one of those things that's just so hard as a parent. It is. I mean, I, I would say that it is one of the hardest parts of being a parent. And I love you've already tapped into such an important aspect of discipline and the topic of discipline. It's all of us kind of all, I think all parents that I've talked to, and I've talked to so many over the years, we all kind of have this this shame, this sense of like, oh, am I doing it right? I'm probably doing it wrong. I don't want anyone to know how I'm doing it because it's probably not correct. And so you, you pull that out right away. That's yeah. that's one of the biggest things that parents worry about is how are we providing enough or the right kind of discipline for our kids? Because I, th- <laughs> I think you want your kids to have the fond memories of that time we went for frozen yogurt and I took them to the park, but they're going to remember when dad lost his stuff in his underwear yelling at the kid or something, you know, that's, what's going to be implanted into the, into the brain. And I apologize. Wait, you lost your like, underwear? No, 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 you no. Lost, no. lost, <laughs> lost it in the underwear. You know what I mean? You never I'm know what, me- <laughs> you never know what memories they're going to, uh, to retain. Yeah. You know, you, you see the things on Facebook too, where it's like, it's springtime, the windows are open. So now the neighbors are going to hear me. Um, yell at my kids. But before we get too much into yelling and, and different types of discipline, let's start at the base. What is the purpose of discipline? Okay. So discipline is, is it's not actually about, you know, like anger. It's not actually about screaming or being mad or, or anything like that. Discipline is designed to keep your kids safe. At, at its yeah. very core, it's to teach limits, to teach boundaries, to build self-control, to build a sense of personal responsibility. Um, we discipline to instill values, right? So discipline is is not at all about anger and frustration. And yet, I think a lot of the time for parents, that's where it lands, right? So one of the first things you want to think about when you're evaluating your own discipline approach is, is it helping to keep my child safe? Is it teaching them boundaries? Is it building self-control? Is it teaching responsibility? Is it instilling values? If it's not doing those things, you might be missing the mark. So I'm thinking as you're talking, when my kids were toddlers and the discipline about keeping them safe is like when they go to the electrical outlet, it's, oh, oh, you know, don't do that. That's dangerous. Or if they're top of the stairs, you're keeping them safe. But as they get older and start to develop more personality and more stubbornness, or the, the ability to kind of fight back, that's when you kind of get into the, you know, yelling. And I don't want to sound like mm-hmm. I'm a big yeller or that everyone is, but, you know, you kind of said that, that that's what it, that's what it's seen. So there's at some point mm-hmm. a shift to where the discipline does turn to something like that. Yeah. And, and excellent point, because I, I remember, you know, my early years as a parent, discipline was about safety. It was, you know, I, the first time I ever, and and we do not have the time to like dig into 
you know, spanking and things like that. We're not, we're not going to no, go there. No. But um, I, I did actually like the, my two-year-old darted out in the street and I kind of grabbed her and I, I kind of tapped her on the butt and I, it was so instinctive that mm -hmm. I was like, what just happened? Like mm -hmm. I did not intend to do that, but it was, it was safety. It was, you need to not do that and you need to make sure that you don't do that. And so for little kids, it really is about, you know, keeping them safe from harm. Right. But as they get older, you start to see that strong will or, or you know, like you said, stubbornness starts to kick in. And so then it can be about, you know, seeing that they follow through with tasks. And I remember an, another incident, my 15 month old had, I don't even remember what we were doing, but crayons got spilled on the floor and I wanted her to pick them up because she had put them there intentionally. And, and here I am like young mom thinking, okay, well, this is a great opportunity to teach. You make a mess, you clean it up. And she wouldn't do it. And I remember being like, oh man, I'm in trouble. This is, she's way too young to be digging her heels in. And it, she eventually did. But, but that was my first um, clue that, wow, this stuff is really hard. And I, I don't know what I'm doing, you know? So, um, but, but discipline starts out about safety, but it becomes so much more and really thinking about it in terms of self-control, building responsibility and instilling values. That's what it's supposed to do over time. So it, it does evolve. Even in the animal kingdom, they'll do that with, you know, no matter what the animal is, they, they will roll them or make them in a submissive pattern to go, mm -hmm. okay, I'm, I'm the leader here mm -hmm. and you're going to, to listen to what I say mm -hmm. as humans. I don't think we roll our children on the floor and lay on them and go, okay, I'm, you're in a submissive <laughs> position. I'm, I'm your parent. I'm here to protect you. Well, I don't. Physically. <laughs> yes. <laughs> did once, didn't go well. <laughs> but it's, it's using the words and, and showing action. If you ask my kids to this day, if I ask them, what is my number one job? They should be able to tell you my job is to make them good, productive adults. And so with that is, is discipline in, in keeping them safe and, and teaching them lessons. It's not always successful, but that's. That's how it is, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. What advice do we have for discipline? All right. Well, let's dig in. I have been looking forward to this episode for a while now. And I think because there's just so much to it. And I know that this is something that all parents struggle with. And, you know, even even veteran parents who've been doing this a while are like, oh, man, every time they grow another year older, I have to, you know, re- configure how we discipline and yeah. how we manage things. And so I just know it's such an important topic. So I am excited to talk about it. And the first thing I'm going to say is, is, you know, maybe a little annoying. Um, most, most people are like, yeah, duh, Nikki. But the, the first piece of discipline is prevention of problems. And so when you are dealing with kids, there's so many things you can do on the front end to prevent behavioral issues or safety issues um, before you ever get to the point of having to you know, deliver some kind of discipline. And so things to think about there, if you've got a kid who's bored, right, they're restless, they're bored, they have nothing to do, you're just more likely to see misbehavior. You, you are, because they're, they, they've got a lot of energy and they're, they're moving and going and they need something to do. And so if they're not, you know, distracted or occupied, you're more likely to see problems. So um, keeping your kids active every single day, you know, having child-friendly fun activities, um, that, that all goes a long way towards preventing behavior problems. Communication and clear expectations are kind of the other preventative part. If your kids don't know what you expect of them, they're not going to meet your expectations. If they don't know it's not okay to do something or that you expect them to do, you know, if you're not communicating those things in a way that they understand, you're not going to see them follow through with it. So um, if you're asking, you know, a child to do something, be clear in your instructions and, and make sure they can hear you and make sure they understand what you're saying, because otherwise it, it then you can see where there'd be room for frustration and um, maybe some arguing and things like that to kick back in. So be clear, communicate. And then this one, <laughs> this is, this is where, um, Chad's going to roll his eyes. We might have to do six or seven more episodes to follow up on this because this, <laughs> this is kind of a topic in and of itself. But when your child 
has the opportunity to develop healthy coping skills that goes a really long way to prevent other behavioral problems. So kids who know how to deal with strong emotions, Mm -hmm. kids who know how to deal with disappointment, kids who know how to deal with frustration are less likely to do things that then require discipline. But it's, it's kind of like the cart before the horse. Mm. I don't know why I keep using these sayings. You know that I say them wrong, but that was right. Um, that was right. I did that one right? That, that was okay. right. That was right. Okay. Wonderful. If a child has healthy coping skills, they're not going to need as much discipline. If a child has had good discipline, they're going to have healthy coping skills. And so it's it, it's sort of like, where do you begin with that? Um, but if your, your early years of parenting involve the modeling of and the teaching of effective ways to manage big feelings, you are going to have an easier time. Discipline's not going to be quite as complicated. And telling them, so I, here's my mm-hmm. expectation and here's why I have that expectation. Mm-hmm. Kind of like you with your 15-month-old, your expectation is not to dart out in front of the street. Why? Yeah. Because it's a dangerous place to go. You mm-hmm. could get hit by a car. So right. explaining that, and, and that's what I've found sometimes mm-hmm. works. But then when you get the pushback or, you know, when you have to ask 70 times to get a simple task done, it gets frustrating. Mm-hmm. And you said, mm-hmm. and I think literally every episode we've done, check your emotions at the door. Yes. I need yes. a big door. Really big door. And, and and that's it. So like if if you're conscious of preventing problems by keeping your kids busy and active, being clear with your expectations, communicating effectively and teaching them skills, the next step then is is stay calm in the face of whatever behaviors do occur mm-hmm. because the matter you get, um, you know, the the less effective what you're trying to do is going to be. And so um, there's a there's a phrase and it, this comes directly from love and logic, which is a an approach to parenting that I enjoy. I mean, the, there's many approaches to parenting and, and I can't say that I like any one over the other, but this is something from that approach that I've taken in it is that um, frustration fuels misbehavior. And so if you're, you know, coming at this situation and you're, you're so frustrated, you can't see straight, you're, you're fueling the problem. You're not doing anything to help teach your child. Yeah. Fuel on the fire. So discipline, a lot of times we said at the beginning of the episode can come out as anger, but it doesn't necessarily have to be anger. Discipline doesn't have to be yelling. Discipline can be what? Oh, it could be so many things. And it, and, and the truth is it, it shouldn't be yelling, you know? Yes. Okay. I'm I'm not going to say you shouldn't yell. Let me be clear. All parents are going to yell. We're all going to mm-hmm. lose our cool. I've said that a lot of times. That's okay. We're going to do that. We have big feelings too, and we don't always handle those things well. But if you really want effective discipline with your child, coming at it from that angle, it's just not going to get you very far. Of course, if you're yelling and screaming and, and louder and bigger than your kid, you know that that's probably you know going to have an impact. Maybe shut them down, make the behavior stop. Maybe maybe make them think twice about doing the thing. But they haven't necessarily learned anything from it, other than mom or dad are really loud when they're mad, yeah, right? Yeah. And so that's not necessarily instilling a value or teaching a skill or giving them self-control. So so anger, we know it's there. And I I mean, let me let me be clear. I, I love to write for fun. And the first thing I ever wrote was an uh, like a like an article or an essay about anger and how I really didn't understand anger until I had children. <laughs> and they, <laughs> you know, and, and the ability that kids have to just kind of push you to that breaking point. Like I had no idea that I could see you know, just see red like that um, until I had kids. And so um, I'm not going to say that it isn't a part of it. It is a very natural part of it, but you want to step away. You want to deal with that. You want to work with that. You want to get calmed down from that before you worry about trying to discipline. And something I want to throw in before we get too much further is that even if you do all the prevention in the world and you're, you know, calm as a cucumber, your kid's still going to misbehave. Like that's just part of being a kid. They just, their brains aren't fully developed and they're going to do things and you're going to have to be a disciplinarian at some point. And they're learning, they're learning where they are in the in the the family, the pack, if you will, going mm-hmm. back to an animal reference, they're learning how to test you, how far they can test you, what they can get away with. 
once they get away with something else, then it'll be like, oh, let's let's push mom and dad a little yeah. farther. So, and I I know I said something about this a little bit ago, but you know, each time your child, you know, ages up, you know, they're they're gonna they're gonna test your the limits that you've set. So you know, you might have a year or two of gosh, you know, I've got clear expectations. The kid is meeting it. They're very cooperative. Everything is good. We're not arguing. And then they're gonna have like a new developmental milestone, and all of a sudden they're gonna push back in a way they never have before. And so you know, your your job is really never done you know, in that, in that mm-hmm. regard. So just, um, stand your toes and <laughs> keep looking for new ideas and that kind of thing. And, and that kind of leads to, to what, you know, some of the things we wanted to share in this episode is that there are several things to consider when you're, you know, thinking about discipline with your child. And there are lots of different strategies you can use to make it just a little bit stressful for you. Um, the other thing we want to talk less about, stressful. yeah, did I make it? You said a little stressful? bit stressful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I meant we- less. Yeah, what a little I Freudian slip I, there. I could crack yeah. your code. <laughs> read, you got to read through the lines with me, um, or between the lines with me. The other thing I want to get to before we're done with this episode is just specific things to think about if your child already has a mental health condition, mm-hmm. um, because that does impact how you parent, and so that's that's another important feature we'll talk about. Do you feel children with a mental health condition, anxiety, ADHD, or whatnot, have to be disciplined more than those without, or? Is it just all kind of relative and based on each individual child? Yeah, I mean, yes, yes. <laughs> I, I think it, it depends entirely on the child and it depends on their particular diagnosis or set of characteristics. And it's not necessarily that they need to be disciplined more. It, it might be that they need to be disciplined differently or that your okay. approach has to be you know, more intense or more intentional or something like that. Um, but it, but it very much depends. I mean, I know my two kids um, require a very different approach to dealing with difficult behaviors. Um, they're just they're different kids, and if I, you know, take take the approach I use with one on the other, it's disastrous. And so, you know, you almost have to like develop different toolkits for each kid. Well, and that's interesting because we literally just had that conversation with our kiddos an hour before we recorded this podcast because there's so much comparison. Well, you say this to him. Well, you don't treat her like this because I do this and I get in trouble. She gets away with this, da, da, da. And I, I told him, I was like, guys, you are two different people. And so we're going to parent you guys differently. And I don't mm-hmm. want any more comparison because you are different people. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way it is. It's managing people. If you're in a managerial yeah. role, you have to manage people differently because people are mm-hmm. all different. So parent that's the same right. way. Well, and, and what you just said reminded me of a strategy I like to, to, or more lingo that I like to give to families. Instead of thinking of it like punishment, discipline, consequences, those kind of words, which all kind of, you know, have carried a negative spin for some people or a connotation, um, you call it parenting because that's what it is. When, yeah. when you are addressing a problem behavior, mm-hmm. you're parenting. And so it doesn't necessarily, I mean, we call this a deep dive into discipline, but, um, we're We're just scratching the surface. Yeah. yeah. We're just, yeah. Maybe we call it a deep dive into parenting because that's, that's what you're doing when you're, when you're providing discipline to your child, you're parenting them. We talked about discipline, having to keep your child safe. For example, again, your 15 month old, you had to take drastic measures. You said really instinct just kicked in. You came home, you gave a little swat on the behind and, and went along your way, but you don't necessarily have to discipline in the moment. No. So young kids, I mean, so this is, this is uh, kind of the difference. So little kids, when it's a safety thing, you do kind of want to be immediate because they're not going to be able to like talk it through. A two-year-old doesn't want to sit down and talk about the potential hazards of like playing with a, like an outlet, like in the wall um, or darting into the street. Like they're not able to kind of process in that way. So your, your disciplinary actions for a child that age need to be quicker, um, but they also aren't necessarily 
true consequences. It might be you distract the child, like maybe it's, oh, hey, let's go over here where it's safe, right? So you're you're providing a boundary, but you're not yelling, you're not swatting mm-hmm. anyone's bum, you're, you're directing to something that is safe. Um, it might be taking away an item that you shouldn't play with. It, you know, if kid is hitting the other kid with some sort of toy, oh, let me have that. We don't hit here. That's discipline, right? That's teaching a boundary. And so with little kids, it does need to be pretty immediate, but to be clear, it's more about like redirection or teaching or guiding, right? As they get older, this is this is kind of the, the in my head, like the holy grail of discipline when kids are older. It doesn't have to be right away. You can say to your child, you know what? What just happened was not cool, but we're not sure how we're going to handle that yet. We'll get back to you. Your mom and I will think about it. Your dad and I will think, or we're, I'm going to think about it and I'll get back to you. Don't worry about it. Okay. So that serves a couple purposes because it gives the child like, oh man, I don't know what they're going to come up with. Like this might be kind of rough, but it also gives everybody time to calm down. So when you do revisit it, they are more likely to learn from it rather than if you handled it right in that moment when you're super frustrated and losing it, losing your underwear, whatever you said earlier. (laughs) Sorry. Losing it in my underwear. Be taking all kinds of I'm not going to let you uh, live that one down. <laughs> um, but when when you're super frustrated, you're they're not and they're upset. Nobody's listening. Remember, if we go back to our brain model, when you're in the red, you're not learning. You're not tying things together logically. You're not making sense of situations. Um, you're just reacting, and it's fight or flight at that point. So by saying, "Hey, you know what? I'm not sure what we're going to do. We'll get back to you." Um, you give yourself the opportunity to think it through and come up with the best possible response. Dear listener. Uh, Nikki and I plan these out. So we, we've known for a couple of weeks, we were going to do this episode on discipline, but I kid you not just this morning of the day we recorded this, I had this very conversation with my son who was being very disrespectful. And I told him, I said, right now you are not in any place to have a conversation. Calm down. We're going to talk about this tonight. He who has anxiety stressed about it all day. What are they going to do? Are they going to take something away from me? What's going to happen? Am I going to get grounded? So all day that was going through his head. So what advice do you have for folks like me who, you know, parent the anxious child, but it's like when you say, we're just going to calm down and talk about it later than all day. Mm -hmm. All he's, all he's Mm -hmm. thinking about is what mom and dad are going to say or possibly take away. Such a good point. And and when we get a little bit further into what do you do with kids who do have some kind of a, a diagnosis, especially something like anxiety, some of these approaches have to be tailored for that child, right? Mm -hmm. So in this case, if you know it just worried him all day long, you know, if if that was distracting to him and he wasn't able to focus and it just, it led to him feeling more guilt and shame and remorse than is effective and healthy, that might not be the right approach to use for him. Now, some kids worry about it all day long and that's a good thing because by the time they get to you, they're like, okay, I'm never going to do that again. I know what I did wrong. I've learned my lesson, right? They've Mm -hmm. had time to kind of sit with what happened and they're going to be like a little tougher on themselves than you needed to be. And so it, it kind of clears that up. But if it's truly like something where it's kind of on that hamster wheel in his head and Mm -hmm. it's going to keep him from being able to do what he needs to do, that might not be the best approach for him. I mean, it, it, it all kind of depends. Like when you had the conversation with him at the, you know, later on today, you know, did, did it all get worked out or was this a situation where the teacher had to get involved because he was so off track at school? You know, I think it's just taking the situation and going, oh gosh, you know, that wasn't a great plan for him. Let's do it different next time. So I will share Then there was a, an incident at school for an after school program. And then I had to end up getting him and he missed the after school program. Once we got home and we talked it out, we did, we had a nice long conversation and it went really well. So it worked, mm-hmm. but there was also that speed bump in the in the middle of the day that 
where the anxiety just got the best of him, I think. And I, I think that's such an important consideration for kids with anxiety is that their processing is different from a kid um, who doesn't have that much anxiety. And so that technique of waiting, like we'll talk about it later, if you wait too long, it's designed to create anxiety, right? It's it's actually designed to get a kid to kind of kind of own their stuff. But um, for a kid who's already kind of over the top with their with their anxiousness, you you know th- that may just be too long of a wait for him. So you know, if I was going to try something like that again with him, I would say you know do that for an hour. I need, mom and I need an hour to think and get calm, and then we'll talk because that's that's not as much time that he would have to ruminate on it. So you want to be careful with that. But I, I think you still can. It doesn't have to be immediate. You don't have to have an answer right away. We had a really good example last week where one of my kids did something that it the the issue itself was not that big a deal. But to me, it represented like a bigger pattern of behavior that I had been frustrated with. And so it was like, I could let this go and just wait for it to come up again. Or I could make a thing of it. And we could, you know, so I wasn't sure what to do. So I just sort of said, you know what, time out. And I walked away and I went to my husband and I said, listen, hear me out. This is this thing by itself, not a big deal. However, this pattern is a big deal. What do we do now? And so we took like three minutes, we regrouped, had a plan, I went back. By this point, I'm calmer because because we just mm-hmm. talked it through. She's calmer. And so I say, here's here's what we're gonna do. Tonight you're gonna do this. Okay. And tomorrow night you're gonna do this. And then after that, hopefully we won't have this problem anymore. How's that sound? And it was good, you know. So but that was like a maybe a 15 minute turnaround. Okay. So, you know, your your time frame depends on the kid. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It, it can be all day. It could be a couple of days if you've got an older teen who you really just need to think about what is the best way for them to learn this. Um, it can take a couple of days. But I would say younger school age kids um, within a few hours is, is a pretty good turnaround time. I noticed you mentioned there in the story with your kid about repetition. You're going to do mm-hmm. this tomorrow and then the next day. Then I think you're going to get it. So let's talk about different ways to discipline. Mm-hmm. Repetition would be one. So you're kind of setting a, a standard. Yeah. So, so in this case, I'll just give the example. Um, we had a meltdown about, I asked um, child B to feed the, <laughs> the cat and child B had a meltdown because child B had fed the cat the night before and she didn't think it was fair that she should have to feed the cat two nights in a row. And the bigger pattern issue that I was worried about is like people balking at, you know, mom asking you to do something. Sure. And I don't have time to, to bicker about those things that need to be done every day. So child B fed the cat the next couple of days. And then we went back into the every other day rotation. Um, and so the repetition of like, okay, you're going to do the thing and we're going to do it without any whining and complaining. And that will help. So repetition can look very different depending on the situation. So you know, I've had kids, you know, you slammed your door. We don't do that here because that, that breaks my stuff. Um, and it could hurt somebody. If you ever had your finger slammed in the door, you know that that's not an ideal behavior. So I'm going to have you shut and open and open and shut carefully, softly that door 30 times. And I'm going to stand here and we'll count together and we're going to do it the right way. And it seems annoying. And boy, is there a lot of eye rolling. If you do that with a child over the age of 12, I mean, eyes rolling. So that's okay. I'm going to overlook the eye rolls because the door's getting shut softly over and over and over again. And the next time we go to shut the door, we remember what we had to do the last time we slammed it. So repetition can look like that. Can you think of any examples where you've used that? I can't really think of anything where repetition has done well, but one thing that has worked well uh, in my house, and I'm not great at it, full disclosure, is acknowledging their feelings. Something, Mm -hmm. especially with an anxious child, is like, I understand that you're anxious about going to school, but you've been in my shower for 35 minutes and the water bill's coming up. And so I got to pay it. And so now I'm trying to stay calm to get him out of the shower Mm -hmm. and not 
lose it, but it's just a matter of, of validating his feelings. Yeah. I understand you're anxious about this. Can you tell me more of why you're anxious? Eventually it'll, it'll happen, but sometimes it takes a long time. And sometimes it takes that extra parent to kind of put their hand on the shoulder and be like, breathe, <laughs> stay cool. <laughs> And, you know, not everyone has the luxury of that. Or sometimes when that parent is gone at work, then you're here by yourself getting the kids ready for school. And getting ready for school is not fun Mm -mm. at the Douglas household. I would, it's not super fun at the Shields household. (laughs) Um, I sometimes accidentally try to sleep through it. It's, I mean, I do not. I wish I could. You know, it's, I would say that like disciplinary issues for many families are, you know, first thing in the morning and right before bed. And, and that's, I mean, it's time crunches. It's, mm-hmm. it's when we all have other things we want to mm-hmm. be doing, you know, kids and adults alike. And so that's kind of difficult. Um, You, you, you talked about like the acknowledging the feelings, validating yeah, the yeah, feelings, yeah. like that's such an important piece oh, it's of, hard. of discipline. And it's, it's also a tricky one. Cause like if I'm sitting down with a family and we're talking about how, you know, discipline could maybe, you know, help with some of the behavioral issues that are happening. One of the the biggest pieces of, of kickback that I get is, well, you know, they did a the wrong thing. I don't care how they feel. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about their feelings. And that's, that's so true. And I, and I will say, you know, as a professional who spends an awful lot of time talking about feelings, well, my kids have messed up and I'm upset about it. I'm more worried about my feelings than theirs. And so I get it. But to validate someone else's feelings goes a long way to help them drop their, their wall, you know, any walls mm-hmm. or guard that they might've put up, um, drop any defenses and, and kind of hear what you're having to say. So if it's, you know, I know you're mad that she took your shirt and got marker all over it. <laughs> that might've happened earlier today. Um, <laughs> I know you're really mad about that. And that's not fair because that's your shirt and, and she disrespected your stuff. That's really frustrating, isn't it? If you start there, it's a whole lot easier to get to the, but we don't hit. (laughs) It's not okay to hit each other. And so now we have to address that. I know you're mad. And when you're mad, we're going to find other ways to handle it. Right. So, um, there's, there's a book that we, uh, mentioned in a previous episode called no drama discipline. Mm -hmm. And it is, um, my favorite book on parenting because it incorporates all of this. It talks about how to validate and empathize, but also be clear and set limits and provide effective discipline. And so if there's one book, I said that there's a lot of approaches and none of them are really my favorite. Um, and that's because this is, I think this is different than your typical parenting handbook. It just has a lot more really cool information, but it is my favorite. And I would recommend that if you're struggling at all, that would be my first recommendation. Read that book and see if it's got any ideas. And if you're not a reader, you can go to YouTube because the authors Mm. have put together videos that kind of demonstrate their strategies. So you don't even have to jump into the book to get a really good idea. So you can just Uh, Google no drama discipline or go to YouTube and look up no drama discipline. Cool. Maybe we can link some of those in the show notes then. Yeah, we can do that. Help folks out. It's a good approach. So let me ask a hypothetical question. If you had a family and one of the children wasn't the best listener and simple tasks like, I don't know, brushing your teeth, feeding the cats, taking quick showers, getting in the car, getting out of bed, didn't work. The only thing that worked in this hypothetical family was to threaten to take something away. If you don't brush your teeth, I'm going to take away YouTube for the day or something. That gets it to happen in this hypothetical family, but I can't imagine that that's a good thing, a good habit to get into. So this is a super loaded question. First and foremost, this is not hypothetical. This is every house in the USA, yours okay. and mine included. Yeah, this is, I mean, like- Speak for yourself. As- <laughs> <laughs> every time I say, if you don't X, Y, Z, I'm turning your phone off. I mm-hmm. am kicking my own butt uh, in my head because it it doesn't. it. 
it's motivational, but sort of in a manipulative way. But like, and what I'm going to say is it's not always wrong, but you want to be careful how you deliver the message. So like, I don't want it just, I don't want the message my kids to be like, every time I do something wrong, I lose my phone. Like I, because that, that's not really helping them learn any values or have limits or, you know, um, but so I like try to tie the thing that's taken away to some other task that does. And so that sounds a little convoluted. Let me be more clear. Uh, let's say a child has lost their cool with their sibling, right? Um, they're old enough to know better, but they yelled, they said something unkind or they hit or they threw something, you know, the things that kids sometimes do with their siblings. Instead of just saying, okay, you hit your sister, your phone is gone. It might be, hey, you know what I need you to do? I need you to use your phone to look up five different ways to deal with anger. You can look at videos, you can look at websites, but I want you to write these down and I want you to come talk to me about it. We're going to go over it together. Until that's done though, you don't have free access of all the things on your phone. So in our house, we use the screen time on Apple Mm -hmm. where you can limit what they have access to. So Mm -hmm. I would set it up for her where um, she has access to Google or she has access to, you know, if I'm wanting her to use an app or something, I would give her access to that. Um, And then nothing else would be turned on until that task was complete or that assignment, so to speak. Do kids like that kind of activity? No. But if handled and, and delivered in like a calm voice where there's, it's not like fighting and yelling and screaming, it, it can make a big difference. And so it's not that you took the thing away necessarily. It's just that they don't actually have access to that thing till the thing is done. Another example might be, you know, people use grounding a lot, right? Mm-hmm. So grounding is great if the kid clearly understands why they're grounded. Like when I was 16 and I'd come home late, I knew I was grounded. Like I that that worked for me. I understood. But young kids, when you just sort of, you did a bad thing and now you're grounded from everything you love, that that doesn't really make the connection. It's not building any skill. And so it might be you aren't able to go ride your bike until you clean up the mess you made. Or you aren't able to, you know, get on your video game until you've written an apology note to so-and-so for the thing that you did. So it's, you can take things away, but you kind of want to connect it to, so it's not so much that they've gotten it taken away. They just don't have access to it until they've completed something that might actually help them build a skill. I'm going to, I, and I'll encourage the listener to do that too. I think I'm going to listen to that again a couple of times just to get mm-hmm. everything. Um, yeah. One other thing I was thinking of when you were talking about that was my son had a therapist once who, this was one, it, it's kind of blew my mind and I was very confused until I saw it work and it was to get them to do things. It was rewarding them. So we developed a little thing of like a behavior buck is what we called it. And it's like, we did it with both kids, even though it was one kid in particular that was having the issue of brush your teeth, you get a behavior buck. Okay. Then at the end of the week, or once you got so many behavior bucks and the school system uses this too, I think at least my Mm -hmm. kids do where you get little things and you can spend the, the, the behavior (laughs) bucks on things and and experiences or toys or whatever. And I was like, "Mm -hmm." rewarding bad behavior, but by golly, it worked (laughs) to a point. And then, then it's like, it stopped working when I don't know if he got to a certain age or what happened. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, so then it was like, instead of rewarding for you to do things, now mm-hmm. I have to threaten to take stuff away, which yeah, yeah. worked. And that's, I just, I, I get puzzled in my head about like, just why don't you listen? And I know it's anxiety because it's just, it's, it's mm-hmm. delaying what's coming next and that's going to school. And even if in, in other cases with kids who maybe don't even have anxiety, like it's, it's just, it's, it's what they do. They don't listen because they're more interested in something else or whatever it is that they're doing is more important than what you're asking them to do. And so, mm-hmm. you know, your, your idea of like a, a behavior buck or a reward for doing the thing, um, you know, that's rooted in behavior modification and reinforcement, like doing the right thing, you get reinforced for it. We go to work, we get paid. So it's, it's not wrong to have that kind of system. It is hard right. to maintain long-term. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I'll tell families a lot is, you know, sometimes use it 
as much for us as parents to start to train ourselves to look for the good. Because I think one of the things, you know, despite what I do for a living, I struggle to focus on the good. If my kid has done 50 things that are awesome and they did one thing that irritated me, like, what do I remember? What do I walk away with? The thing that irritated me, right? So Samesies. when we do, oh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so hard. And, and, you know, they might be getting straight A's and all the people in the world think the kid is great. Uh, you know, I got some back talk and, and I'm salty about it for three weeks. And so mm-hmm. um, it's really hard to focus on the good as a parent. And so sometimes those token economies where, you, you know, you get something for doing the right thing that trains us as much as anything to look for the good, to notice the good things, to, to be able to be excited with them about the right choices. And so I, I usually tell parents to try that on a short-term basis, just to kind of get everybody in the mode of like looking for the right thing rather than getting caught up in, in the other side of it. But, you know, you, as you were describing it, I could kind of feel your, your frustration and confusion that comes in. And, and I think all parents can relate to that. Like, what is the right way? Do I take stuff away? Do I give stuff? Do I, do I like burn it all on the front yard? I don't, I don't know what to do. <laughs> you know? Um, and the thing is that other than burning it all, that's never probably necessary. Um, but the other things work some of the time. And, and so you just kind of have to know your kid, know yourself, know your family system and do the thing that, that clicks in that moment. It's also okay to do do overs or to like change the mm. plan midway. So I've, issue discipline. And then like when I've calmed down and I thought about it, I've, I've realized that's probably not the best way to teach the thing. So I'll go back and I'll say, you know what? I want to talk about this. This is what happened. You know, it happened because of this. You were, you were upset. So you did this thing and I was upset. So this is the discipline or the consequence that I put in place. But once I calmed down, I realized actually this would be a better way to handle it. Would you like to work with me on this. And usually by that time, again, everybody's calmer and they want the thing because whatever you've come up with is probably a little bit better. The important thing though, and I, I can kind of hear my mom furrowing her brow as I say this, is like you don't want to go back on discipline. If you have issued a consequence or done something or grounded your child, takes note, you don't necessarily want to renege on that because then then they're learning like you know, that you're, you well, you're flaky, like, right. Mm-hmm. That you might not right. hold to it, that the consequences don't mean anything. So you have to be careful with that. You, you can, you can correct it. If you've made a mistake, you can apologize if you've gone too far or you've lost it, or if what you did was, was not a solid response, but you have to make sure something still happens. Otherwise, again, it looks like you're not following through. And I've said in a previous episode that, that having that conversation with my son where it's, I admitted I was wrong was a game changer. So yeah, I, I definitely uh, recommend that. It's just hard when my glass is half empty all the time. <laughs> what about off of that uh, consequences mm-hmm. that you give? I, I um, was told by my son's therapist too, that when we do consequences, make sure it's something you can deliver on. You just mm-hmm. said you can go back on it, but sometimes I'll give them one that's like, it's pretty severe. And in my head, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. I think if you issue something, you know, as long as it's safe, you know, your, your best bet is to follow through. If mm-hmm. you, like you said, if you've had that moment and you're oh, I, I need to apologize that I did not handle that well, that's okay. But it's don't issue a consequence or a threat that you're not going to follow through on, you know, and I, you know, the, the parents are like, we're not going to go to McDonald's. If you, you know, you know, you know, they're going to McDonald's. Everybody knows you're going to McDonald's, right? Don't say something you're not willing to follow through on. If you say it, do it. And I've, I've been caught in that. Like I'll issue something that, mm-hmm. that like, it's a terrible consequence because it's going to affect my life more than the kids. Right. But I said it and the kid didn't listen. So now I've got to follow through and, yeah. and we all have to suffer through whatever stupid thing I said when I was mad. Um, so it's, you know, I, I would like to clarify if, if you're going to go back on it, it really needs to be more because you, 
you said something hurtful, you realize that the consequence didn't really fit the crime. It's it's not saying, ah, I've changed my mind, I'm not mad anymore, so there's no more discipline. It's more going, you know, I what I said wasn't cool. I made the situation worse with my temper, something like that. And yeah. then, and then you come back and say, I'd, I'd rather we handle it this way. What do you think? Right. Some way off of that. When is it, a, when is it a parent problem as opposed to the child problem? Because if they keep doing the same activity. Oh yeah. So this is one of my favorites. So like if a child does the same thing more than once or twice, it, it's, it's a you problem, right? Mm. It's a parent problem because you have basically it means you haven't found an appropriate consequence or they still have access to whatever the thing is and, and you haven't set a clear enough limit that they know that's not for them. So the best example I can think of off the top of my head is um, when my oldest was four-ish, um, she would consistently get into things. Like she would go to my makeup drawer. She would get in this like little drawer I had that had all these like fancy pens and pencils in it. I'm a little bit of an office supply snob, but so she would get into these things and I would get so frustrated, like, stop, you don't get in there. And, and I would go to the point of like putting tape on the drawer, thinking that would stop her. And she would like peel the tape off. Cause you know, kids are really smart and she'd get into the drawer. And, and what I realized, you know, a few times into this is if I don't want her to get into it, and I know she's a curious child with ADHD who's rather impulsive, um, I'm going to need to move it to higher ground, right? Like I need to do something um, to make it more clear. Either either need to make, you know, like a more strict consequence so she understands that I mean, you know, business in this, or I need to fix the situation, or I need to work on teaching her more skills to help her remember this is not a thing. And so, you know, if you've got... A, <laughs> The cat. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. I, I'm going to talk about my cat for a minute. Um, if if the cat knocks over a glass of water, uh, you know, every time you leave it out on the counter, and you can't get mad at the cat when they do it three, four, five times a week, right? You're leaving the glass of water open and un, unattended, and the cat is going to knock it over, and you know that. So getting mad at the cat doesn't change anything. And it's the same for kids. If they're doing the same thing over and over again, and you're not changing your behavior, your response, your approach to teaching the lesson, you've missed the mark and it's really on you. Related to the 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 you problem thing that we just described about, you know, if the kid keeps doing the same thing over and over, it's probably it's probably because you haven't done your part. If you give a child 47 chances to change their behavior, they're going to take 47 chances to change their behavior. So, okay. you know, the the best example of this is if you're sitting in the living room and your kid is in the other room and they're doing something you don't want them to do and you say, you know, knock it off, you know, stop it. Please don't do that anymore. And like each time that you say it, you're getting no response and you're yelling a little bit more and you're getting a little louder and you're getting a little more frustrated. At this point now, when you do finally get up and go put your foot down, proverbially speaking, you're you're upset, right? And mm -hmm. the child's response is not going to be super great. Um, and so ultimately, I kind of look at that as a parent problem in that moment. If, if your child is doing something they shouldn't be doing, whether it's safety, whether it's irritating, whether it's just, you know, bothering a sibling, you need to physically go to them. You, you say it once, right? Give them a chance, maybe two, if you think they might be really distracted. You know, if you've got a kid playing a video game and they're really into it and they're wearing headphones, you might have to say it a couple of times, but go to them, right? Look at them, make eye contact, put your hands on their shoulders, you know, be, be physically present <laughs> and let them know this behavior is not okay. This has to stop. And then redirect them to something that is appropriate if, if that can be done. Um, but don't allow yourself to get mad because you've yelled it and yelled it and nobody's listening. And, and I was going to ask something that we've done with my son that sometimes works is we'll set the smart speaker device to set a timer. I'm going to give you five minutes and you're going to do the task. When the timer goes off, you go. You know, but then you get into the the thing of like once the timer goes off, it's like okay, now we told you to go, we we told you to go, okay, we we've told you three times now for the timer to go. Mm -hmm. Now, 
you need to do the thing, you know, and that's where I get aggravated. It's like, we've done everything I feel like we have, but yet you've pushed us to our limit. And then now we're the bad guy mm-hmm. because yep. we yelled. Because you, and that's exactly it. It's like, listen, I was patient and kind the first 83 times I said it. Now I'm like a little mad. I'm yeah. a little mad. But so the, the example of brushing teeth comes up a lot. Apparently this is like a really big battle in a lot of families. Why don't kids like to brush their teeth? That's I, disgusting. I, I know. I don't. I mean, they'll get there eventually, but um, we, I have a trick for that. I'll teach you that in just a second. But first, you know, the, the idea behind it is, you know, they don't want to do it, right? You know, they don't want to go to bed because they know that like brushing their teeth means bed is next or mm-hmm. school is next or whatever the thing is. So, you know, they don't want to do it. So don't give them that opportunity to turn it into a battle. Like go to your child and say, Hey, try to brush your teeth. I'll brush mine too. Come on. Make it a, make it a thing, make it non-negotiable, make it something that they are just absolutely going to do because you're right there with them. And I'm not saying like force them into the bathroom and jam the toothbrush in the mat. That's, that's not what I'm getting at. You come at it, your first request is fun and you're right there and you're present. They're more likely to follow through. Now, should you have to take your 14 year old into the bathroom with you to, to, and help them brush? No, no. At some point when you've guided them through this process and you haven't yelled and screamed from the other room and you, you've encouraged and you, you know, said, good job. Thank you for brushing your teeth when I asked you to that all kind of results in a child that eventually just does it on their own, right? Yeah. The, it's mm-hmm. it's the building the skill of self-control and self-responsibility. I say, okay, but we're not there yet. You're not there yet. <laughs> we have arrived there with with one oh, half of our children. And, I, and the, the, the trick, really, we got a great dentist who, when the kids go to their appointment, they go back with the dentist. And I don't know what magic they they use while the kids are back there. We don't we don't go back. We just hmm. wait for them in the waiting room. They come out of here and they are so ready for dental health and well-being. I don't know if they show them like horrible films of what happens if you don't brush your teeth, but gingivitis. <laughs> <laughs> but these these kids are, are getting really good at dental health and it it is not huh. because of anything I've done. That's the key. Get a good dentist. Get a good dentist. Well, I feel like I have a good dentist, but <laughs> Anyway, I digress. Let's spend a little time now talking about discipline and the differences in in disciplining a child with a mental health condition. Kids with anxiety and other mental health conditions do make discipline um, a little bit more difficult. Um, And a lot of that is because, as we've said 864 times before, um, it's difficult to tell the difference between a behavior caused by a mental health symptom Mm -hmm. and a run-of-the-mill just behavior, right? But this goes back to the thing I just keep saying and, and Go ahead and roll your eyes. Get that get get that out of your way. I'll, I'll <laughs> if cue we, the eye roll. Cue it. Okay, good. Um, if you respond to a problem behavior with empathy and clear limits, it doesn't really matter what the cause was. So if you've got a child who's not wanting to do the thing because they're anxious, or and you've got a child that's not wanting to do the thing because they don't want to do the thing, ultimately responding with, I know you don't want to do the thing. Right? Mm. I know you would rather not do this because you don't want to go to school. Or I know you would rather be playing your video game than than doing this thing I'm asking you to do. Empathy goes a long way. Now, does that empathy immediately flip the switch and make the child say, okay, <laughs> I will cooperate and do everything you say, fearless leader? No, no, it does not. But if your response is, you know, clear and empathetic, majority of the time, kids have a little bit less reason to push back. You're going to see a little bit less defensive or argumentative behavior because you're starting with what they're already thinking and feeling. I know I've asked this in, in a past episode, but can you learn empathy and off of that, like, I feel like I'm a very empathetic person and a little pathetic in some ways <laughs> against people. But when it comes to your children, it's it's harder to be empathetic mm-hmm. than it is with other children or, or other people. 
Oh, I mean, empathy is a tricky thing. Like you can, you can empathize with a fictional character better than you can your own children or your spouse or, you know, people that you know really well. I think it's much easier to have empathy for someone that you don't know, like their whole history. Like, <laughs> you know? like, you, like Simba when Mufasa died. Yeah, we, we can all sob and feel so much empathy for this tiny little, little uh, lion cup. But, um, but our own kids who we would, we would die for, you know, we'd, oh, I'm done with this kid, right? So right. that's, that's pretty natural, but it takes practice. So just like all the other things that we've talked about, you know, you, you keep trying until you get it right. And, and that's where if you, if you get calm and you just focus on that piece of it, it's much easier to care what they think. Um, and I, I think too, with empathy, you, you can learn it. You can learn it, but the best way to get there is to practice it with people that aren't your kid, mm. right? Use it with your spouse, use it with your friends and family, you know, and I practice it first with my husband. It was, it, we, there was a whole lot of, I really, I know, I understand and I see how much you want to golf on the weekends. I, I see that and I hear that and, and it's so important to you to be able to golf, right? I did do a lot of that <laughs> um, in order to get to a place where I could then say to the kids, I know you're upset. I know this is really hard for you. And so practice it with other people. Um, and also, I can't emphasize this enough. If people aren't empathetic with you, I think it's a little bit harder to be empathetic with others. Hmm. So if you're not getting that from anyone in your life, it can be tougher to apply that yeah. to kids. And I've worked with a lot of adults who are struggling with their kids. And they're like, well, I didn't get any of that growing up. Nobody empathized with me. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's a challenge. One other question I can think of, and we, we touched on this in a, in a former episode called United We Stand. So if you haven't listened to that one, then uh, go check that one out. But parents, you brought up spouse. So what happens in homes with moms and dads or two parents and homes of divorced families or um, single or, or you know non-traditional families, whatever you want to label it. But what happens when one parent says you need to do the thing and the other parent might give a little more empathy and be like, well, da, 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 da. that child then starts to realize which parent they need to kind of team up with. And that to me, <clears throat> hypothetically, could be tough. <laughs> well, again, um, <laughs> it is tough. It is tough. And it's tough in every household because, you know, kids are smart and they find they find their allies and they find the the smoothest path, like the path, mm -hmm. the path of least resistance. And Good, you got um, it. yeah, I, I did it right. <laughs> I want a, a book of sayings that just has all these phrases in it, what they mean. So I don't use them wrong. Uh, but the, the key is, you know, going right back to that episode, you gotta be a united front. Even when mm -hmm. you disagree, you kind of have to find a way to back each other up. And, and as we talked about in that episode, it is so hard. And I, you know, frequently want to throw certain individuals under the bus um, rather than take their side. But I also know what happens to my, you know, mm -hmm. I don't want to say authority, but uh, my reputation in the house if if I'm not on the same page. And so it's it's super challenging. That's yeah. all I can say about that. Is there any other parting advice or any other words of wisdom we have as we wrap up here? Uh, here's a couple other uh, things that that you can try. Just some some quick tips. Um, natural consequences are great because they don't have to be the bad guy. I had the the opportunity to to have a, a fight with my child about not wearing their coat on a day when it was 30 degrees yeah. recently because weather can't decide what it wants to do in our area. Mm -hmm. But I I chose not to take the opportunity. I was like, you know what? You don't want to take a coat. Okay, it might be cold. I don't know what you're going to do at recess, right? And so worked out. Kid came home. I really wish I'd had my coat today, mom. Hmm, hmm. I bet you did. I bet that was hard, right? Not, I told you so. I, oh, and, really? Yeah. You're not, oh. you can't, you can't do that. That's, that doesn't Dang help. Um, but just, you know, you don't have to be the bad guy with the natural consequences. And um, let's see, logical consequences are a pretty big deal. Yeah. Oftentimes, 
you know, kids get yelled at for things. Um, remember we had a little guy at our house once and he, he was playing with a uh, silverware knob drawer pull thing and it fell off. And, um, his mom was like, ah, blah, blah, you know, mad at him and telling him, you know, well, look what you did. And I was like, well, he probably could fix it, you know? <laughs> and so he did, he picked it up and he fixed it and problem solved, you know? And so in that case, the kid learned, Hey, wow. When I break something, I have the ability to fix it too. And so it doesn't have to be you're in trouble because you did the thing. It can be, Oh, it looks like you have a mess to clean up. looks yeah. like you have something to repair. Probably made him feel good that he fixed it, that he helped out. Mm -hmm. That seems to also work when it's, you made the mess in your room. So clean it. Oh, what? You don't want to? Okay. Bummer. Yeah. I don't <laughs> want to talk about messy rooms. That's <laughs> whew, I, that's the next that's, episode. That, yeah. that's I'm going to need some help with that one. You were talking about empathy before, and I want to throw out another strategy related mm -hmm. to empathy. When kids do something that like violates the rights of someone else or hurts someone else, um, it's it's really important that, that they learn from that experience, right? But that can be really hard to teach because they probably did the thing because they were mad. If somebody, you know, does something out of anger, usually, you know, we work through it, we get to the other side of their particular set of emotions, but then we look at how can we correct it? So do we have the child write an apology note? Do we have the child, um, you know, do something helpful for the person that they harmed? The idea being, you know, if they've done something hurtful, having them correct it, just like, you know, breaking something or spilling something, what can they do to make it better? And helping kids to learn that, you know, when you say something that hurts, but you can also say corrective things. And that's where modeling your own apologies and fixing the, the hurtful things that you say goes a long way towards teaching kids uh, ways to do that. One last thing to think about mm -hmm. when you're, when you're looking at discipline with your kids is you can't, after a certain point, you can't force your child to do anything. And and honestly, even when they're really little, you can't force them to do anything. Right. Like when they're small, you can pick them up and, you know, kind of move them physically. Um, but that, that phase ends quickly and you can't force them to do anything. So when you're thinking about a consequence or you're thinking about a way to teach a behavior or a skill or um, a response to something that wasn't appropriate, think about what you do have control over. Kid can't put their, their dirty clothes in the laundry basket or, you know, put it where they're supposed to, well, then... Um, you have control over when you do the laundry, right? And maybe that thing that they want so bad, I'm sorry, it's dirty. You didn't put it in the mm -hmm. hamper. That's a bummer. You you can't physically force them to, to learn the lesson, but you can make sure that your actions show what happens when you don't do the thing. And so look at what you have control over. Don't issue threats that you can't follow through on um, and think about what you what is the thing you want your child to learn as a result of the situation. And if, if your, your discipline or your parenting is focused on that, you're going to feel successful a lot more of the time. All right. So when we started, I said that a few things worried me. One, that this was going to be long, and this has been now the longest episode we've done, but I think it's been great information and I hope people enjoy. I thought I'd really come off as a bad guy here. I don't feel like I did. Um, <laughs> Good job. A few things, as I often do in these episodes. So thank you for that advice. We thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with the folks you think could benefit from it. If you like what you're hearing, we have several other episodes you can listen to. Go to where you listen to your podcast and hit subscribe. That way we delivered to your um, podcast inbox, I guess is what it's called or what I'm going to call it here. Every other Wednesday, I do want to mention May is uh, coming up and it's a very important month in mental health. It is Mental Health Awareness Month. So we are going to do an episode every Wednesday during the month of May to um, celebrate and raise awareness of childhood mental health. So as always, our goal is to start a conversation and that conversation continues with you.